I was working for my first uh, celebrity at the time. He was part of a boy band. He had just branched off to, ha to have his own career. I remember Travis Scott was performing up top on the top portion of the club. So I I'm standing there and I start to smell smoke. I, I waited a few more moments to confirm that it was smoke and I start to look around and see people are starting to panic. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, we are always booking guests. We are always reading emails. So definitely reach out there. And just a reminder, if you're listening on audio, we have the YouTube channel. It's just other people's lives on YouTube. You can actually watch us, see our facial expressions uh, as we speak to guests. And if you're just watching this on YouTube, we have a ton of episodes on our audio platforms, wherever you get podcasts, a bunch of episodes that we recorded before we ever started doing YouTube. So you can go binge those as well. Now, today we're speaking with a professional bodyguard for high-profile celebrities, and he's going to walk us through a day on the job, share some tricks of the trade, as well as some of his most memorable experience, uh, sorry, some of his most memorable experiences protecting high-profile individuals. But first, we've got the guests on the line. Thank you so much for taking time out to discuss this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and everyone knows we love job episodes, so this is definitely going to be an interesting one. But to kick this convo off, can you sort of hit us with the official job description of a professional bodyguard as it pertained to your career? Sure. First of all, bodyguard is, a, is actually a slang term. The more modern phrase would be executive protection. Um, BG, sometimes we might say in conversation, but executive protection is the term. Um, the actual job description is to protect from harm, harassment, or embarrassment. So it's a little more broad than uh, physical violence. Okay. And uh, I guess just kind of describe, you know, how you kind of, you know, got into this and when you started doing it and how long you did it for. Yeah. So um, I'm in my early 30s now. Out of high school, I uh, joined the Marine Corps uh, towards the back end of my four-year enlistment. I had the opportunity to, um, I was overseas at the time, and uh, a British, um, uh, I believe she's the equivalent to the uh, um, Department of Defense. She would work for the British Department of Defense, essentially. And uh, she was coming by to visit us, and uh, they wanted to put together a protection detail for her so we could walk her through the downtown of where we were at at the time. And I, I was I was honored to be selected for the security detail. I thought it was I thought it was fun. I thought it was interesting. Um, I liked the responsibility. Um, and prior to that, I had no specific bodyguard training. Uh, plenty of you know military oriented training, but nothing designed around protecting somebody else. And um, I remember I, I got I got done with that detail, and I, I had access to a, a satellite computer at the time. And I went on Amazon and I purchased every bodyguard book I could find. And uh, that's that's how I dived into it. Okay, cool. So you enjoyed that experience, I guess, of protecting. And did, did you say executive protection is the term? Yes, executive protection is a more formal term. Nice. That's cool. That's very, it's like John Wick or something. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I like that you also said that it's not just physical harm, but also embarrassment. So I guess what... Like just for the average person, you know, what 
is this role? So, or maybe you could just walk us through this first experience that you had because you enjoyed it. Like what uh, is kind of under your purview? What are your responsibilities when you are protecting, you know, a whatever high profile individual, high net worth individual, whatever it may be? Sure. I, I personally, uh, for whatever reason, ended up working for a lot of young females. So I grew up an only child. I, I didn't even know how to, um, there are certain things I didn't know naturally. Uh, so for instance, um, a woman with high heels, it, it, obviously you want, you want to be on the lookout for exterior threats, but I'm making sure she doesn't fall and f- fall on her face. Um, because that's mm. going to be harassment. Um, especially if, if she's a celebrity, um, that image is her net worth, you know, so you, you got to protect that. Um, a story I can give you guys as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm re- remembering a few things. Uh, I was working for a family, a uh, very powerful family in the entertainment in, uh, industry. And we were exiting the vehicle and heading towards a, a venue. There was going to be, a, I believe it was a private concert. And as we're walking towards the curb, I could see we were in New York City at the time. I could see that, that graded, um, it's a grate in the ground, essentially. And the, and the woman had high heels on. So I remember thinking in my head, pay attention to that, even though that there's people all around us taking photos. And meanwhile, while all this is going on, you could barely see if it's nighttime because of all the camera flashes. So you're mm. doing your best to see you're working with what you got. And I could see her plant her foot on the grate and I'm keeping my eye on it, keeping my eye on it. And as she starts to thrust away from the grate, I could see her back like it's stuck. Essentially, the uh, the heel got stuck in the grate. So I was already I was ready for it. Um, I kind of kneeled down. I was right behind her at the time, grabbed her heel, lifted up, and it was very fluid, very quick. I don't think anyone even noticed what had happened. But essentially, she would have had, you know, 100 photos taken over of her planted on the ground, which hmm. would have, you know, been a big deal. Right. And is, is that like part of your responsibility too? Like as the person who hires you, are they expecting you to kind of cover those types of things or is it more just the physical harm? Uh, I would say they're, they're it, it's, so I'll break it down for you. So th- there tends to be three different clients in the, in the bodyguard world. There's, uh, there's, there's the corporate side, which is, let's say, um, a big industry is, let's say, a, a CEO has to lay off 100 employees. Like clockwork, when this happens, there's a lot of death threats. So the security team is act- obviously activated to a, a higher level at that point, and we sort of follow them around for several weeks to make sure those threats dwindle. Um, there's the celebrity side, which I have most most of my experiences on the celebrity side, which is very different in the sense that we're usually not dressed in a suit and tie. Uh, we may or may not have an earpiece. We may or may not have any team or backup. It's They want us to blend into the entourage, essentially. So if they dress a certain way, they want us to sort of follow suit. And then the, the third is what's called PSD, personal security detachment, which is more the, um, if you ever heard of Blackwater, it's a, uh, there's private military organizations where we might do work um, in other nations. For instance, uh, um, the Emirates, I believe, instead of having their own military, they'll supplement their military with private military contractors trained by the U.S. government. So they're basically doing what I did, but they're acting as a military for a third-party country. Uh, that, that gets into the weeds. There's a lot of legalities there and training that the State Department sets up. That's a whole separate conversation. 
Yeah, it's su- super interesting, though. I guess just the yeah. range of essentially job opportunities that this brings. But, you know, for your experience, you said that you uh, mostly have dealt with, I guess, this kind of celebrity aspect. So you kind of alluded to it before, walking down the streets, cameras. But is it is it that sort of typical bodyguard role that I think a lot of us see in movies, TV, or even real life where it's, you know, you're just kind of protecting this person because they're just getting hounded and mobbed by fans and you kind of, you know, never know if someone's going to get a little too close or, or what might happen. Um, is, is that essentially the job that you were doing and, and how high profile of celebrities were you dealing with? Um, well, I, I'll give you the chronological uh, order of, of my career to show you the differences. Um, so the way I got into the industry is I, uh, I had obviously read all these bodyguard books. I was I had just gotten out of the military. I was young, motivated, and I was willing to do anything. And I couldn't, I, although I was living right outside New York City at the time, I couldn't find my break into the industry. I was sending resumes everywhere. One person got back to me. He, he was a retired NYPD guy. And he said, hey, I work for a uh, Middle Eastern family. Um, they come here annually for an extended period of time. They ended up liking me. So now I work, I work for them full time now, travel around with them. But he said, uh, I could really use you while I'm in New York. So I, I accepted that gig. And he called me the very next day and he said, hey, it's, I, I have a different job for you. It's not for the, the family I described. Um, it was I could say this name because I, I didn't work for them directly, but it was the uh, the Chilton, uh, excuse me, the uh, Clinton Foundation. Um, so they were having some type of speech at a conference. So my first exposure to to the bodyguard world was sort of the political side, where um, it was it was just a bunch of political figures giving speeches, uh, describing different, you know future technology and investments that they wanted different people to make. Um, and I was, I was more so just a, a support role. I sort of watched all this happen, happen, and I helped out where I could. I didn't work for any one person specifically. Um, and you're able to sort of drift into the darkness, and you, you can make a lot of mistakes when you're in this position because the eyes aren't on you, nor is there an, an intense amount of responsibility. Um, you're more, you're more so the, the, you're the safety in the NFL world, right? You're, you're if, if that running back gets through the yellow line and the linebackers, you're the safety. Okay. Mm-hmm. And sorry, what's that? I was going to ask, like, are you, cause since you mentioned like, you know, political figures, are you, uh, carrying a weapon? Um, it really depends on which state city or country. So over time you, you learn which, states or cities or, or countries are strict or what their certifications are needed and, and whatnot. But I'll tell you that a vast majority of the time I did not have a firearm on me. Um, and not, it wasn't because um, of legalities per se. Um, oftentimes you get so good at what you do. Um, you, you know how to limit your exposure to those types of threats, essentially. It's more tactics than anything. In the okay. sense that you're not, it's it's less like standing by and waiting for something to happen and then act, but just sort of the, I guess what, like logistics of 
you know, whatever this, this like event or a celebrity's day or like transportation from one place to another? Like, are you involved in all of that? Like, we're going to get you from point A to point B. This is how we're going to do it. This is how quickly we're going to move. Um, I guess like, what are the details of kind of setting that up when you say that it's tactics more than anything? Um, well, exactly what you said, logistics. Um, so hopefully we're going to be in direct contact with, uh, an assistant or a manager. That person is going to give us the itinerary for the day. So Nine times out of 10, high net worth individuals have an itinerary that they follow. Um, so it'll say, you know, 9 a.m., we're waking the client up. Uh, 9.45, we're going to be out the door. You know, 10.15, we'd like to arrive at this location. So what we do, if we have the proper manpower and if the client's willing to pay for it, we have a, at least a secondary uh, bodyguard, let's call it, at that location already who mapped out the route from the residence to the location he takes photos, video, takes notes, um, has pre-made routes to nearby hospitals and or uh, anything relating to that client um, so that uh, let's say there's traffic somewhere. We don't have to sit there and type something into Google Maps to figure out a better way to get there. We have already ran the route several times before the client even got in the car. Um, That's actually an insane amount of work, it seems. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, absolutely. And, and I, I will also tell you, regardless of how wealthy somebody is, a majority of the time they don't want to pay for that extra manpower, but it does go a, a long way. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online counseling uh, or therapy. You can talk to a therapist in just under 48 hours, so it's very quick from sign up to your first session. Uh, and they make it very easy to jump from therapist to therapist to find the right fit for you because that is an important part of this entire thing. But I think that therapy, as someone who's been in therapy for a couple of years now, um, I think that everyone should be in it. I think it's like the going to the gym for your brain. It keeps you healthy, um, but it's great. And, you know, they have people, they have licensed therapists in every state and um, they can help you uh, with whatever problems you're going through. If you have anxiety or depression or there's some sort of trauma that you need to work through, or if you don't really have any pressing matter on your mind, but you just feel like, you know, I could benefit from talking to someone, which is how I started therapy. And then, you know, through your sessions, you feel a lot better and lighter. So I suggest it to everyone. And uh, not only that, but BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, which is very expensive. So this is a great way to uh, try therapy without making a very huge financial commitment uh, to a bunch of sessions that are very expensive, like I said. So this is much more affordable than that. And on top of that, you can save some money because you're one of our viewers and you can go to betterhelp.com slash OPL and you will save 10% off of your first month. That is betterhelp, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash OPL. And you will save 10% on your first month. Okay, so go try it out. If you guys are tired of shoes that aren't good in certain weather or shoes that look nice but aren't comfortable, then you have to check out Vessi. Vessi makes amazing shoes that feel great, look great, and can actually withstand the weather. For example, I can wear my Vessi sneakers in the pouring rain and my socks stay completely dry. It's honestly like magic. I don't have to think twice about what I'm going to wear on my feet no matter what the weather is. Vessi products are 100% waterproof and lightweight. They go on and off without you ever having to touch a shoelace. They have four-way stretch and are easy to clean. And Vessi supports programs across the world that create fresh water where it's needed most. So experience the bright side of wet weather yourself and take advantage of Vessi's huge Memorial Day sale by going to vessi.com slash OPL and use the promo code OPL to save 15% off your order. 
That's Vessi, V-E-S-S-I dot com slash OPL, promo code OPL to save 15% off your order today. Don't wait too long to grab your favorite Vessi shoes because this sale ends soon. I'm just thinking of like, I don't know why I just keep thinking of Taylor Swift for some reason, like in, you know, or, or I guess just someone of that magnitude. It's like their whole day is just planned like before they even wake up. And it feels like there's just a person managing every aspect. And that's wild. Like, and, and you're, I guess, part of that process of like, okay, this is the itinerary and these are all the possible routes. And this is what we do if there's traffic in this place. And this is what we do if, you know, whatever it may be, but it's just like to the minute, just sort of planned. Exactly. And and if it gets even further into the weeds of that, if we have access to another vehicle, maybe we'll stage them uh, at a cross street or an avenue at a different location. So if it's standstill traffic, we could, you know, throw throw some uh, clothes on the on the client to make them not stand out and we could walk to the next vehicle and bypass whatever's going on. You know, It, it really all depends on how much what the budget is for that client. Uh huh. And That's is this like a contract? Like you work for a certain amount of like months or something, or is it, you know, job by job? Um, in my personal experience, it's usually day to day. Um, what everyone's looking for in the industry is that big contract that someone says, Hey, I like you. I like the way you operate. Are you willing to work for me indefinitely and follow me around? Mm. Um, and then you're essentially salaried to that person. And that's like the one person that you work for. Yes. But usually, yes, that's, that's usually the goal within the industry. And dealing with these people, I'm sure there's, you know, if they're celebrities or whatnot, you have like fans coming up to them or this and that. Have you ever been in a situation where, uh, it ever got sort of scary or physical and you had to, you know, take someone down or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, there were a handful of times where uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is the day I've been training for, you know, but um, I, I, one story that comes to mind is I was brand new. I was working for my first uh, celebrity at the time. He was um, he had the number one song out. This is probably uh, five, six years ago. And uh, he um, he was part of a boy band. He had just branched off to, to have his own career. And where where it's it was a two level club. So what they did was on the downstairs would be, uh, you know, one type of music going on. Upstairs might be a different VIP with a different type of music going on. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll say this name because I didn't work for him directly, but I remember Travis Scott was performing up top on the top portion of the club, and I was on the bottom portion. Okay. And the fan base for the client I was working for, let's just say, was nothing like the fan base for Travis Scott and very different uh, demographics. And s- some rioting started outside, which was th- the top portion of the club. There was uh, allegedly there were, you know, fighting each other, you know, breaking things, s- starting fires. So um, I had his, the person I was working for, his manager walks up to me and says, hey, just so you know, um, this, there's some ruckus going on outside um, and I'll get back to you if I learn any more. So I, I'm standing there and I start to smell smoke and um, uh, pr- prior to all this, like I explained, 
we're, we're, we have the blue, wherever we're at, we have a blueprint for it. We'll get there ahead of time and we'll say, Hey, can we have the blueprint for this? So we know exactly where the exits are, where the bathrooms are, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew that there was a, a secondary exit that was only used, I believe not even by staff. It was, you had to know where it was to get out to the street. So I, I waited a few more moments to confirm that it was smoke. And I start to look around and see people are starting to panic. I don't see smoke, but I smell it. And I see people start to panic. So I walk up to the, the, the client, the, the, the person I'm working for, and I kind of whispered in his ear that we got to get out of there. He was, at the time, he was dating also a very uh, big-time celebrity. Um, so by nature, you're sort of responsible for her, too, even though she's not paying me, nor is it in the contract. But hmm. you're not going to be there the next day if you pretend she's not there, you know? Mm-hmm. I um, love this, like, little side guessing game of, like, <laughs> here's some crumbs <laughs> and hints of who it might be. I'm not going to say who it is, but... <laughs> Um, yes, I whisper in his ear, he whispers in her ear and, uh, there's these, um, he, he grabs my shoulder, which anyone who has experience working with a bodyguard, that's like the way to get out of a packed room is you have the person, you sort of form a limbo line, you know? Mm. So he's grabbing my shoulder. I weasel my way through the crowd. And right when we're getting to this sort of secret exit, you could hear the people start to yell and sort of, uh, stumble over each other to get out the the primary exit so now a secondary scene is causing it's people fighting each other to get out of the club you know and right as this is happening i breach the door it's a big open staircase up to the the main street and no one's there with us so we had sort of a jacket uh for each of them we threw it over their head so they could sort of put their head down and hide their face and the uh the exit exited right next to the primary exit but everybody was so busy panicking once they got outside uh due to the, the street fights and some little fires here and there and the police are starting to arrive and put the caution tape up and um we literally just i looked at him i said stay calm that cool and we just walked as if we were you know joe Schmo, anybody and walked probably a block down the road to where i had the vehicle staged uh we got out of there no issues at all um so the story's a little lackluster if you're looking for somebody getting shot or stabbed, but I look at it from a from a perspective of, hey, I, I didn't think that was likely, but I trained for it and I was ready for it, you know? No, yeah. I mean, I think that definitely, you know, is an example of one of those things. You never know, like, what could happen and, you know, what's sort of involved. And I guess, you know, for people who don't really know anything about this job, I think the thing that is going to shock them is the amount of preparation that kind of goes into it. So getting the blueprint and knowing that these exits, uh, these exits exist, um, is like cool to hear, to know that like at any given moment, you know, there is a plan, you know, for whatever, it's not just reaction, it's preparation. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think that's fascinating to hear. Also job well done in that situation. Like that's where that preparation pays off. And it's, uh, it's also a reminder, just like as a side note, you know, everyone wants to be famous and known worldwide. It probably sucks so much of the time to just have to have all of this happen around you, like as the celebrity, I'm sure. But I'm curious, like, do, do they even know what's going on or how much preparation goes into it? Probably not, right? Uh, did I know? No, like, do, does the celebrity in that situation, like, are they even aware or are they just kind of like... Like, do they even know um, all the preparation that's going on or, you know, how much work you're putting into keeping them safe and kind of having all these different scenarios like already played out in your mind? I think overall they're not fully aware. 
Um, but I will tell you that when you work with people that have more years of experience with a bodyguard, they are more aware of what goes into it. I've worked for people who were just um, exploding on the scene. And I've also worked for people who have been famous for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And once you get to that, you sort of know all the, the tricks to the trade at that point. They Sometimes they could do my job, to be honest with you. They, they kind of knew what I was going to do already before I did hmm. it. Yeah, totally. Would you say it's a thankless job or mixed or, you know, do, do you feel like you get the credit you deserve when you work with people like this? Um, overall, it's thankless. I, I could very specifically remember two times that I was personally looked in the eye and thanked for my uh, my service, let's say. Um, and they, they weren't big incidents. One was I held the door open for somebody. Um, you know, getting into his vehicle. And another time was um, uh, an actress who was doing a photo shoot in the middle of the road in, in Tribeca. And there was a lot of paparazzi and people wanting to, you know, touch her, hug her. And it was, it was a stressful environment because we, we didn't have any other support. And, um, but other than that, I, I, I did the, the work for five, five to uh, six years, let's say full time. And those were the two thank yous I got. <laughs> Damn. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah, that's raw. I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Why is it like, are you just, is it, is it just like the idea of a bodyguard is just almost like, like a video game character, like a character in a movie. Like this is just this, you know, character that's here to protect me. And like, I'm not even thinking of them as a real person. I think they look at you like you're a piece of meat, not in the disrespectful way. I, um, so everybody, most people I worked for had, had a full-time staff for every little aspect of their life. Um, you know, you have the day-to-day -day manager, you have the overall manager. If they're on tour for something, they have a tour manager, mm -hmm. they have their accountant, they have their lawyers on speed dial that sometimes hang out with us. All different types of people are in this group, this entourage. And it gets to the point where these people have no true relationships with anybody. And they look at you as just somebody who's uh, a piece of the pie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was able to take a step back and see that because what usually when you're doing bodyguard work, you're a very down to earth person. Usually you don't come from much. Whereas, you know, um, let's say I'm working with, um, uh, you know, a lawyer for something. Maybe he's advising the client on what to say at a, a, a public event. You know, we, we tend to have very different perspectives on life and, um, so I, I was able to see how I, I didn't take disrespect from it is what I'm saying. I, I was able to see why they acted the way they acted. Right. Mm. And also when you're, you know, on these jobs, like, how, like how big is the team? How many guys do you usually have? So when, when a client comes to us and they say, Hey, we're interested in your services. What we tell them is a four man, at least a four man team, one driver, one uh, close protection officer, which is the person that's always within arm's reach. One advance agent, which is the person that goes to all the destinations first to make sure the route is clear and the, the building is open and all the appropriate people are there and it's not a setup or an ambush. Um, but nine times out of 10, regardless of who it is, they're only willing to pay for one person and maybe one driver on top of that. Hmm. Um, and again, there, it goes back to our value to the team is these numbers are being spit back to the accountant. So the accountant's looking at this person's spending 
and they're saying, okay, I could see the value in this person. I could see the value in that person. But security, do we really need four of them? Mm. Um, when the reality is we do need them because when I'm working alone, uh, it's all one big guessing game. And it's, there's a lot of uh, risks that I'm taking that I shouldn't have to take, you know? So many variables that are, you know, yeah, I guess you can only prepare for so much, uh, but you know, you throw in, especially just the element of fans or people and, you know, just how volatile they could be, or you never know what someone's going to do. Um, but I'm curious, like there's obviously a big sense of responsibility when you are on the job and protecting someone. But in this role, are you actually liable for anything that does go wrong? Like, could you get sued or, you know, be at fault? Um, there's a lot of unspoken rules in this discussion. I would say, uh, I know people who have gotten in legal trouble for very minor things, uh, simply because the client didn't have their back and it's easier for them publicity wise to say, yeah, he did wrong. Let him go through the legal process. But I've also worked on teams where it was very understood without without it being in writing, like, hey, do whatever you have to do and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out. I'm gonna get my legal team to take care of it. Mm, okay. Oh yeah. Wow. I I asked because it's like in terms of it being thankless, it also seems like almost the easiest role to just blame if something does go wrong. You know, assuming that you could have stopped something that maybe you couldn't have stopped. Um so yeah, I'm sure that's kind of a, a tricky, tricky fine line. Yeah, it takes experience. It, when I got into it, um, I didn't know anything and everything. I made a lot of mistakes and thank, you know, I, I, I'm very thankful to the, the mentors that I had that sort of pulled me in aside and said, hey, don't say this. Don't do that. Don't believe this. Don't believe that. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you have to sign like crazy amounts of NDAs and things like this because you're also you're essentially one of the closest people to this high profile person. Like what if, you know, the person you're with is, I don't know, just starts like doing Coke or like gets a hooker or something like you obviously like, yes. uh, like, are you privy to things like that? And you just obviously can't say anything. Um, so the first time I ever saw drug use was several years into my, uh, being a full-time bodyguard for celebrities, and uh, generally, let's say the client wants to go use the bathroom. It's pretty standard procedure that we first go in the bathroom. Hopefully, we have a private bathroom. Usually, most venues do. But we were at a club. She didn't want to use uh, a private bathroom. She wanted to be amongst the people. And so, But we still went into the bathroom, made sure it was cleared, and we have somebody stand outside for a few minutes to make sure nobody else goes in. And uh, so I, I had a... Uh, another bodyguard with me. So luckily uh, it was easier for me to pull this off, but she goes in there. Um, she was in there for a while. Um, we, usually if it's a female, we're not in the bathroom. Usually if it's a male, we'll have one person stay in the bathroom as well. Um, and she, uh, she comes out, uh, you know, pupil, pupils are dilated. Her behavior is completely different at this time. It was probably like close to 3 AM. Everybody's tired, but, that night, I, w I, didn't, I don't think I got relieved that night till close to 7 a.m. And we had to drag her to bed. So it's pretty <laughs> obvious what went down. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, wow. This is like an interesting peek as well into just sort of celebrity lifestyle, you know, culture from, you know, the, the bodyguard point of view. And you mentioned it earlier, and, and I think you mentioned it in a little more detail in your email, 
like these people obviously have someone for everything. And like, can you just expand on that a little, like almost at, at sort of the highest peak of celebrity for these people you've worked with? Like, they're not ordering themselves food. They're not doing anything. You even mentioned that they'll have people that just get them sexual partners. Like (laughs) what is like, what have you seen sort of at at that level of, you know, I guess a celebrity's life just entirely being managed by other people. So I saw this primarily in LA is I think there's, there's culture to different cities, right? So sometimes there's certain clients that will live primarily in New York, primarily in Miami, primarily in LA. And you start to notice the differences over time working for these people. And one LA culture uh, factor that I found was each team had somebody dedicated to finding women. Let's say that we go out that day at the club or whatever. They, their sole purpose is to find women, get their numbers, get them back to the room for the client. Um, That's literally on payroll. I don't, I don't know if they're described as a consultant or what they are, but that's what they do. Um, But in my personal experience dealing with this is I once got a call on my phone. I didn't have too much of a heads up. Uh, Somebody had reached out to me and said, hey, you might get a call from XYZ. But anyway, I answered the phone and the person introduced himself as an attorney. And then he he mentioned the name of who he represents. And it was a very prominent figure in the news in sort of that time period. Um, This person was already one of the wealthiest in the world. Um, and then and then essentially uh, married someone who's also very wealthy, uh, split up. And then years later, uh, I'm now conversing with her. Um, so she was single, but she had acquired her own wealth plus the half of another man's wealth is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he sort of gave me an, a sort of an intimidating pep talk because normally my NDAs are very quick. They kind of throw me a PDF document. I read through it. I see the numbers that I'm responsible for if I reveal whatever information and but this time was it got serious and but but at this point i'm intrigued whether or not i'm going to accept the the role or not and um he says okay i'm going to put you on the other line with her so i start speaking to her she's very nice very well spoken and she goes from saying that she needs security to very swift transition into how she also wants me to appear to be her her boyfriend her legitimate boyfriend in public (laughs) well she said she says to me, you know, we're going to take a lot of photos. We're going to go to a lot of formal events. We're going to dance. We're going to drink. We're going to have a good time. So I need I need that to be real. Um, she also wanted me to dress a certain way, look a certain way, you know, wear high quality suits. Um, and, and then the con- and I, to be honest, I've, I've done some work like that before in the past. I can get into that if, if you'd like. But this one was different because instead of it being strictly professional she then transitioned into how there's going to be days where she wants to be intimate and that's where it got weird and uncomfortable because you know you have your own personal life aside from this job obviously so i I didn't and and imagine being in the tabloids and then trying to start a you know a personal life on top of that um Wow, what a request! Yeah. Did so, did you end up doing it or no? Yeah, they're like paying for you to be their boyfriend, essentially. And what was the purpose of that? So, uh, this is actually very, very common for um, single women in the entertainment industry. Is um, one, it looks better in photos, right? They spend all night getting ready, spending hundreds and thousands on makeup and their their 
you know, their outfits, they want to look good with a partner sometimes. Um, and they look at it like, Hey, you could double as securities might as well. Right. Um, for that role, I ended up, <laughs> I was going to decline it, but I ended up, uh, I was, I was a finalist with a handful of other guys and, uh, I, I ended up FaceTiming her and she ended up going with another guy. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for that because that I never had to deal with that. But, um, <laughs> that's so wild. You were just like I, on the bachelor, bachelorette all of a sudden, <laughs> like, but still as a bodyguard. What? Yeah. Um, and, and by no means does it mean like if there's anybody out there who's interested in the career field or they're currently pursuing it, um, you by no means need to be, you know, attractive or the guy who dates celebrities. I, I, I don't consider myself anything special. I think I'm handsome. I'm kind of tall, you know, um, I mean, come but on, it, you're a finalist. Give yourself some credit. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a finalist. Um, another similar story I have to that is um, a French billionaire, from what I understand, because uh, we get these intel reports sometimes beforehand if we're working if we're working for somebody. And the, I believe the intel report said he was a billionaire. And uh, his daughter wanted to come to uh, Manhattan and spend like a week there, just kind of have fun, party for summer. Actually, it was winter. And... Um, uh, he asked me to play the role of her boyfriend so that when she goes out, men kind of stay away from her. <sighs> and when I spoke to her, she was very nice, very sweet, but she very nicely put it in a way where she doesn't want me all up in her business, but at the same time, she respects what I'm there for. And mm-hmm. uh, sh- sure enough, we, you know, we go, all the nightlife that she wanted was very low-key. It was not the type of place that was going to have creeps, but uh, there was one night where, you know, she's dancing with, you know, several other women, no men are there. She's just having a good, innocent time. And these older men, clearly very wealthy, uh, you know, were kind of, I could see them from the other side of the room, eyeing them up. And next thing you know, they order a couple of drinks. They have two drinks in each hand. They come walking over to them and start to try and dance. And I could see her from across the room, sort of eye me, give me the side eye. And, uh, so I walk over and I just sort of like, kind of, you know, what, what a boyfriend would do and, uh, just sort of make your presence known, you know? And, uh, you know, the guys got the hint and they walked away and she, she thanked me afterwards. But what I'm saying is it doesn't need to be physical. I don't need to, uh, grab the guy by the neck and, you know, throw him out of the, out of the place. You want to be low key. You don't want them to know what you actually do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was that uh, like when you're doing that, I'm assuming you're just kind of, you know, by yourself like there's like a really a team or anything in those types of situations uh that particular situation um i believe that we were in a team um so security is very customizable it depends on the, the, the threat itself you know if that person has a legit if you're traveling to mexico city mexico and you're working for a, a and you know um someone who does big business with mexico you're going to act a little differently. You know, you're going to stay a little closer. You're going to have a little more manpower. Um, you're going to vet the people in the room you're in. Um, uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, for sure. Wow. It seems like you've had some really interesting days at work. Um, is this job lucrative or can it, you know, can it pay well? Is it something that you recommend people get into if they're interested? I, um, so I don't recommend anybody pursue it, but with that said, I heard the same guidance when I was 23 years old and all that did was light a fire 
and made me determined to get involved with it. Um, and that also helped me because everywhere I went for guidance, they all told me the same thing. You're going to spend your time and money on training and certifications. And you're not ever going to work for anybody. And for most people, that's accurate. A vast majority of people I know spend tens of thousands of dollars on training and certifications and never even work for somebody ever. Um, and even if they do, they make, they don't make good money. Um, but with that said, in terms of the pay scale, I remember the first, one of the first gigs I ever accepted was $18 an hour and they did not reimburse anything. So I was paying my own tolls and food and whatnot. So I remember for the first almost six months of my bodyguard career, I was actually spending more than I was making. Um, but eventually you're networking, 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 you're meeting people. Uh, everybody's making business cards, exchanging business cards. And eventually I met someone. Uh, so what happens is you're going to end up seeing other bodyguards work for other people when you're at private events. And we all kind of mingle together and exchange information. And that really led me to my next big leap where I was looking at, um, you know, minimum 500 a day uh at that point going forward nice nice i guess my my last question for you is you know it's just it's it's crazy to hear about the job and it's just also crazy to hear how differently some people live like ultra wealthy or you know celebrities who you know are known all over and just the stories of like the decoys or switching outfits and throwing jackets over their head or pretending to be someone's boyfriend and going through um you know it's like selection of if you're going to be the one it's that's wild to hear has this job like has it made you jaded at all or like change your perspective of you know celebrities or you know high net worth individuals um, half of me respects their work ethic because there are, uh, there are people who wake up very early and they don't stop until late at night and they'll repeat it all over again the next day. Um, and then there are people who it's very obvious they got there because they acquired that wealth or acquired that fame and never really earned it. Um, but I would say the average bodyguard, we're very apolitical. We, um, I worked for people that I hated on a personal level, but I gladly worked for them and I would mm -hmm. have done anything for them, um, regardless of how, uh, belittling it might've been. Yeah. Um, and I would say most professional at the highest level bodyguards, we're all the same in that regard. We put our ego aside and we have, uh, um, a lot of pride in what we do. I was going to ask too, have you ever worked for someone that, you know, it was just like, like you said, you know, people that you've hated, you've worked for happily, but have you ever, uh, you know, done a job where you were just like, I fucking hate this or this person is super rude or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I worked for plenty of people that were very rude and, but that same person kept, you know, hiring me back for probably, a, you know, at least a year. And then there were also days where we really got along. Um, so it's this this mix of emotions where you sort of understand the stress that they're that they're in, and you understand that their life is, you know, just so chaotic and different than yours. Um, uh, with that said, I have a story for you. you might find interesting before I forget about it. Um, so this is a job I actually turned down. Um, 
I don't want to say his name, but even the slightest bit of Googling can find out who this guy is. He's, he's, he's a guy who uh, wanted to buy uh, prescription medication, essentially. He wanted to buy the company so that he could jack up the price of it. Oh, and yes. he was openly wanted to do this. <laughs> he openly wanted to do it for, like, humor, essentially. And after he made this public announcement, obviously, he went out and want, requested a security detail. And I was one of the, I guess you could call finalists to get the position um, in the sense that somebody gave my name and they reached out to me. Um, but what he wanted to do in his contract was at the time there was, a, um, if you remember, there was a Wu-Tang CD, but there was only one CD and they were selling mm-hmm. it for like, you know, a million yeah. bucks. <laughs> and the plan was, Wu-Tang's plan was to, so hopefully someone would buy it and sort of use their good intention to then like distribute it and and they were completely okay with it from what i understand that's how they wanted the, it to take its course um but this guy that i potentially was going to work for his plan was to buy that million dollar cd not give it to anybody but he wanted to blast it in his car while he was hanging out of the sunroof you know driving through certain neighborhoods and and this is all in the contract this is what i was supposed to expect and at the same time the guy didn't want to pay that much um, so that was a hard no for me. Uh, but these are, there are people like that out there. Jeez. Yeah. I think most people listening will, will know who this person is. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I, I do want to throw in too, cause I feel like not to just be too hard on celebrities and, and things like f- for like the fans who get mad at celebrities for like not stopping for photos or taking autographs, like in defense of celebrities, is there anything that you have to say to those people, like the fans who kind of get angry and say, like, how could they, you know, not sign an autograph or, you know, stop to take a picture? Yeah, I would say a vast majority of the uh, celebrities I've worked for uh, truly are thankful and truly want to sign autographs. Um, if anything, it's a photo op opportunity for them. that They spent hours getting ready for it. Um, but they're on a timeline. Um you know, maybe they have, you know, everything from dinner reservations to they haven't seen their family in weeks to they're, they're tired because a lot of times we start our days pretty early. We're out and about and we don't get home till late. Um, and usually it's very rare that we run across one or two people that want an autograph. It's literally hundreds. And as soon as someone and from the distance sees someone else taking photo with somebody, they come running over because they want a piece of the action. Um a lot of the times uh, when I dealt with people who wanted autographs, they didn't even know who it was I was working for. They simply saw somebody who wanted an autograph and they wanted a piece of the action. Um, so from a tactical perspective, you need to push through that. You, you, you have to say no or you will never get to where you're going if you even accept one autograph. Um, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes think, a lot of sense. I think that's usually how it happens too, like – you know, one person comes up and then like, there's like a sea of people eventually, especially if it's like a very high level celebrity. So, I mean, that could be difficult to sort of deal with. You want to avoid that at all costs. Um, but yeah, I mean, this has been super interesting. We appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this, uh, you know, perspective. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think people know that, uh, bodyguards are like protectors and they are right there and can stop people from doing whatever, but the amount of preparation, um, and like strategy that kind of goes into all of it, I think is overlooked and not something that people usually think about. Absolutely. 
Yeah, no, thank you. It's, it's really impressive. Um, but thank you for sharing all those stories, giving as many details as you possibly can, uh, which was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, we appreciate it. And we uh, wish you best of luck with everything in the future in the executive protecting business. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full-body grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin Powers chest hair, and if you grew some winter man tits, the least you could do is make sure there's no hair on them. No one wants hairy man tits. Promise. It's time to get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code OPL. Look, if you guys don't know what Manscaped is by now, then I don't even want to know what your grooming situation looks like. Manscaped has the best grooming products I've ever used, and it gives me a ton of confidence. So if you want to increase your confidence and your full body grooming game with the Performance Package 4.0, you got to check out Manscaped. It comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, which is perfect if you're trimming your chest or that treasure chest in your pants. There's also the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to keep the jewels fresh and clean. No one likes nose hairs, of course, so the Performance Package also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0, plus you'll get two free gifts. And look, the point is that having the right tools for grooming is essential. So do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code OPL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code OPL at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. Our next sponsor for today is Air Doctor. Air Doctor is an air purifier that's going to help you in ways that you didn't really realize. As Americans, we spend about 90% of our time indoors, and indoor air is somewhere between two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. So you want an air purifier to make sure that you're not getting all these allergens and bad things in your body, dust or whatever, in your body, uh, and you have something in your house that's going to help purify the air. New data from the World Health Organization shows that 9 out of 10 people breathe air that exceeds uh, the pollution limits. So that means that we're all kind of susceptible to this. And that's where the air doctor comes in. The air doctor filters out dangerous allergens uh, so your lungs don't have to. It uses a filter that has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses. Also, it has a whisper jet they call it, which is 30% quieter than the fans found in ordinary air purifiers. So not only is it doing an amazing job with purifying the air, but it's also going to be quiet. So it's not making, you know, a lot of noise and disturbing you. The air doctor comes with a no questions asked 30 day uh, money back guarantee. If you don't love it, uh, you can head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code OPL. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 40% off. Uh, You are saving up to 40% off uh, lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code OPL. That is spelled A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code OPL and you can save up to 40% off depending on what model it is. So go get it, folks. Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, that was a cool kind of peek behind the curtain, if you will, about the bodyguard industry. Scary job too, by the way. It's like, if you're a celebrity, especially someone who's like controversial, it's like, fuck dude. Like there's people who are just going to be 
trying to get at this person and I'm going to have to like fight people or like, you know, whatever. Or if you're dealing with a really big celebrity, it's like fighting off fans and, you know, you want to do a good job, especially because you're not under contract this sort of day to day for the most part. Like that's stressful to be like, I need to be super on all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, sounds like wild anxiety, honestly. Yeah. It also seems like a ton of work. And I think that's probably a big misconception is like this, here's this big person who's just like muscle, just like as if it's as simple as just stick this person who, you know, maybe has a weapon or knows how to restrain people and just throw them next to a celebrity or a politician or whatever. But that would really not accomplish much other than, you know, they're just being a big person standing next to like, it's the, the muscle aspect, but the, the brains and the tactics and the strategy. And that's so interesting. And, um, you know, that the fact that, the bodyguard and people in his position are so involved in that and just creating every worst case scenario and how to get out of it is really cool. And I feel like, uh, you know, hopefully people can, can respect that job a little bit more knowing, you know, how much is going on sort of behind the scenes as well. And then the fact that they're just taking on a ton of responsibility going out in public, you know, with these people that they're protecting. Yeah. Also acting as someone's boyfriend, like <laughs> did not expect that at all. Like that is very interesting to, to know and be yeah. very skeptical that, when you see a celebrity with like a normal person that you don't know. That's the thing. It's like, I, I, I love the perspective that he gets of these people's lives because the things that you almost want to brush off as like, ah, oh, that probably doesn't happen that much. It's like, no, like these things are really happening. Like they have like decoy celebrities getting into cars on this street, but the real person is, you know, dressed in sweats with a mask on like three blocks over and just like diverting people and fake relationships. And it's wild. This is just happening all the time. And yeah. uh, you just wouldn't know it. And like we said on the episode, like, man, some people out there just live wildly different lives than the average person. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it feels like conspiracy and like a conspiracy theory or something. And you're just like, eh, I don't know. But I mean, it makes sense that it, that stuff like that would happen. Yeah, it's like um, social media, like in real life. It's like, you know, this is just don't believe everything that you're seeing. Like so much of this is staged and planned and, you know, the lives of these people that also seem super glamorous. It's like, no, like they're actually just paying this person to pretend to be their boyfriend. Like it's it's not always as great as you think. Yeah. Well, for anyone else out there that would like to, you know, get on our show, send, tell us your story. Uh, send us an email. It's oplpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we'll go through it and we'll hit you back. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok at OPL podcast. Reach out like Joe said. And uh, thanks for watching, listening, supporting, and we'll see you next week. See ya.